So let's pray one more time. Our great God and loving Heavenly Father, we commit the littles and the heirs to you and the wonderful ministries that you've given to each of these couples. And we pray now that you would speak to us again through your holy word. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, amen. So good evening. The theme for our first Evan Global Missions Conference this year is listening to the Lord of the harvest. And the best way to listen to the Lord is to pay attention to what he says to us in his word. And that leads us to our theme verse for this conference, which is found in the New Testament Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, verse 15, where Jesus says, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone, everywhere. Jesus said this, and he has never rescinded this command. This is not something we might do. This is something we must do. This is not an option. This is an obligation. And this morning, we began a two-part series of Bible messages from the Old Testament book of Jonah entitled, What Part of Go Don't You Understand? And we saw this morning that God's command to go is found in the Old Testament, which was written in Hebrew and Aramaic, and God's command to go is found in the New Testament, which was written in Greek. And we saw that no matter in what language this word go occurs, it always means the same thing. It means go. It's a synonym for don't stay. And the going which God commands us to do, now watch, is not just a general going from anywhere to anywhere, but it's a specific going from where people do have the knowledge of the one true God through Jesus Christ to where people don't have the knowledge of the one true God through Jesus Christ. It's going from where people do know the message of the gospel to where people don't know the message of the gospel. It's going from where people do know about Jesus to where people don't know about Jesus and won't know about Jesus unless someone leaves here and goes there. Friday night, I shared with you that in today's world of eight billion people, nine out of every 10 people are spiritually lost and on their way to hell. Two out of every three people have never heard a clear explanation of the gospel. And one out of every three people has no one living near them who can share the gospel with them. Almost three billion people remain unreached. These people not only don't believe in Jesus, these people don't know there's a Jesus to believe in. These people have never met a Christian. For them, the Bible is an unknown book. The cross is an unknown symbol. Christmas and Easter are not in their calendar. While we wait for the second coming of Jesus Christ, they've never heard of his first coming. 
These three billion people are not only lost, they are unreached. These are people for whom Jesus came, lived, died, and rose again. These are the people to whom God commands us, his children, to go. Go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone everywhere. Now, I realize not all of us can physically go to the front lines to reach the unreached, but all of us here and all of God's children everywhere must be involved in the going process, either by going themselves or by sending those who go through our prayers and our giving and our support. I know of a church in the Midwest of this country which has divided its congregation into three distinct groups of people. The goers, the senders, and the disobedient. (laughs) Now this morning we saw the importance of going by looking at the true story of the prophet of Jonah given to us in the God-inspired Old Testament book of Jonah. Quick question, how many of you, since we were together this morning, have read the entire book of Jonah at least once? Oh, that just warms my heart. That's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. So I invite you here, or if you're watching online, to look there in your Bible now, while we read several selected verses from that book. Look with me at Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go, and you'll notice I've capitalized and highlighted the entire word go. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. And we saw this morning that Nineveh was 500 miles east of where Jonah was living in northern Israel, and Tarshish was 2,400 miles west of where Jonah was living. Now look with me at the opening verses of Jonah chapter 3, where we read these words. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go, and you'll notice again, I've capitalized and highlighted the entire word. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. And you'll notice that I've capitalized and highlighted the entire word went because in English, went is the irregular past tense of the verb to go. Now look with me at Jonah chapter 3 verse 5. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth. That's a sign of repentance from the greatest of them to the least of them. Look down now at chapter 3, verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. And now look at Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. But it, what the people did and what God did for them, displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Now, what I want to do in the next minute or two is tell you the entire biblical story of Jonah in a nutshell. Are you ready? 
A Jewish prophet named Jonah who lives in northern Israel is called by God to go east 500 miles and preach about his judgment and mercy to the wicked Gentile city of Nineveh. By the way, I have an entire message I give about the city of Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, and the message is entitled, Love Your Enemies. And in that message, I quote numerous reliable historical and archaeological sources which prove beyond doubt that the unspeakable cruelty of Nineveh at the time of Jonah far surpassed anything Stalin did to the Russians, far surpassed anything Hitler did to the Jews, far surpassed anything that Vladimir Putin is doing right now to the people of Ukraine and far surpassed anything Hamas did to the people of Israel this past October. And that's who the Lord told Jonah to go to. Back to the story. So God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh and Jonah deliberately disobeys and goes west to the town of Joppa, which is a seaport on the Mediterranean where he finds and boards a ship going to Tarshish, which is 2,400 miles west on the southern coast of Spain. And as the ship sails toward Tarshish, God sends a huge storm and the boat is about to sink. The sailors find out that Jonah's disobedience is the cause of God sending the storm, and they throw him overboard. The sea becomes calm immediately, and God sends a large fish to swallow Jonah. Inside the fish, Jonah wrestles and prays for three days. The Lord hears his prayer and causes the fish to spit Jonah out onto the shore. God calls Jonah a second time to go and preach to Nineveh, and he goes. Because of his preaching, the people of Nineveh repent, and instead of judging them, God spares them. Jonah is upset about this, and the book ends with Jonah arguing with God about why he spared the Ninevites instead of judging them. That's the story of Jonah, and this is part of the inspired word of God. And we saw in our Bible message this morning that the book and story of Jonah is not primarily a story about a fish or about a storm or about the sailors on the boat or about the Ninevites or even primarily about Jonah, though he does play a major role. The book of Jonah is about God. It starts with God in chapter 1, verse 1. It ends with God in chapter 4, verse 11. As you start reading the book of Jonah, God is mentioned by name or personal pronoun 20 times before the fish is even mentioned for the first time. God is mentioned by name or personal pronoun 67 times in Jonah's 48 verses. The book of Jonah is about God. And what the book of Jonah does under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is to contrast, to contrast the going, loving, seeking, evangelistic, missionary heart of God with the staying, self-centered, self-serving, unevangelistic, anti-missionary heart of man as seen in the person of Jonah. I said it twice this morning. I'm going to say it again tonight. The book of Jonah contrasts the going, loving, seeking, evangelistic, missionary heart of God with the staying, self-centered, self-serving, unevangelistic, anti-missionary heart of man. 
So here's the message of the book of Jonah in a nutshell. When God said go, Jonah said no. I want everybody to say that out loud right now. Here we go. When God said go, Jonah said no. Mm. So what I would like to do in the remaining time we have tonight is to point out to you, to warn you from the book of Jonah about the danger of finding and choosing a convenient alternative. I want to warn you tonight about the danger of finding and choosing a convenient alternative. So, if you meet somebody this week that wasn't here tonight but normally comes here and they say, what did Dr. Murray speak about Sunday night? You tell them he told us about the danger of finding and choosing a convenient alternative. Now look again at Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out, it says in the NIV, preach against it. So the word of the Lord to Jonah was simple and clear. Go and preach. And the word of the Lord has also come to us just as directly as it came to Jonah and just as clearly as it came to Jonah. Now, you might be saying, well, God never spoke to me like he did to Jonah. I mean, Jonah was a prophet. Jonah had these, you know, personal conversations with God. I mean, God told him directly what to do. God never spoke to me like that. Oh, no? What about Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, where we read, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. And you say, that's right, that's what happened in the case of Jonah. But now look at Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2, which says this, But in these last days, he has spoken unto us by his Son. And what has Jesus spoken to us? Look at our theme verse where Jesus is speaking and he says, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone everywhere. Now watch. God said to Jonah, go and preach. God says to us, go and preach. While Jonah's commission was regional, our commission is global. While Jonah was called to Nineveh, we are called to the nations. God's word to us is clear. We are to reach the whole world with the gospel. This is not something we might do. It's something we must do. This is not an option. It's an obligation. We are commanded by our Savior and Lord to reach the whole world with the gospel. When God said Go, Jonah said no, and now watch. In doing so, Jonah found and chose a convenient alternative. An alternative which in itself is perfectly legitimate. Now, when I talk about a convenient alternative, I'm referring to the fact that many believers 
in refusing to do what God wants them to do, and whatever that is, it will always be in terms of his worldwide redemptive missionary purposes. Many believers in refusing to do what God wants them to do choose a convenient alternative. And that convenient alternative in many, if not most cases, is a perfectly legitimate activity. And on the basis of that, they seek to justify what they are not doing by pointing out that what they are doing is perfectly legitimate. Now, I'm going to say that again. Many believers in refusing to do what God wants them to do Choose a convenient alternative, and that convenient alternative in, in many, if not most cases, is a perfectly legitimate activity. And on the basis of that, they seek to justify what they aren't doing by pointing out that what they are doing is perfectly legitimate. They have chosen a convenient alternative. Could it be that there are people like that here tonight? you've chosen a convenient alternative. Maybe you've done so deliberately, or maybe you've just kind of slid into it. You didn't even realize you've done so, but you have, and you've chosen a convenient alternative. Now, I want you to think with me for a few minutes about where Jonah went and what Jonah did. And to do that, I want us to think about four things. If you're taking notes, you want, might want to write these down. I want us to think about Joppa, I want us to think about the boat. I want us to think about the Mediterranean Sea. And I want us to think about Tarshish in Spain. So, first of all, let's talk about Joppa. Is there anything wrong with the seaport town of Joppa? Answer, absolutely not. Joppa was and is a beautiful place to live or to visit. It's located on the west coast of Israel, and Joppa was built on a small bluff overlooking the Mediterranean Sea. Fresh seafood, salt air, spectacular sunsets. Joppa today is the coastal section of modern-day Tel Aviv, the transportation, financial, and cultural center of Israel, home of the Stock Exchange and the Israel Philharmonic Orchestra. It's the gateway to Israel for tourists and pilgrims a perfectly legitimate and smart place to live and work. I've been there. Some of you have too. Well, you say, Jonah didn't know that Joppa would become Tel Aviv, one of Israel's best cities. That's right, but he did know that Joppa was given by God to his people, the Jewish people, as part of the territory of the tribe of Dan. As a prophet who knew the Old Testament scriptures, it's very possible that Jonah knew the exact place in Joshua chapter 19 where Joppa is named as a town given to the Israelites by God because Jonah's own hometown of Gath-Hefer is also mentioned by name in that same chapter as part of God's provision to his tribe, the tribe of Zebulun. 
Joppa was the place to which King Hiram of Tyre floated the huge rafts of cedar and cypress logs cut on the mountains of Lebanon and purchased by King Solomon for the construction of the temple. It was from Joppa that those logs were taken by land to Jerusalem. Joppa was an important good place used by God as a means to the end of building the temple where all true God followers would go to worship. Now watch. Jonah didn't go to Sodom. He didn't go to Moab. He didn't go to Edom. He didn't go down to Egypt. He went to the beautiful, legitimate city of Joppa. Joppa was used again by God later in the reconstruction of the temple under Ezra. Joppa was the place where Peter, in the book of Acts, raised Dorcas from the dead. Joppa was the place where God appeared to Peter in a vision on the rooftop, telling him that the gospel wasn't just for the Jews, but for the whole world. Joppa was the city from which Peter went to Caesarea and led Cornelius and his whole family to Christ. So we come back to the question, is there anything wrong with the seaport town of Joppa? Answer, no. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us anything about whether Jonah was single or married. So let's just suppose he was married and his wife stayed in gath Hefer when he went west to Joppa on the coast. One day she goes out to the mailbox on the road by their house and there is a postcard in the mail portraying an absolutely gorgeous sunset over a wide expanse of sea. The printed postcard caption on the other side says, Sunset over Mediterranean. And in Hebrew handwriting, which she recognizes immediately, are scrawled several short sentences. Sweetheart, loving it here. The air is clean. The salt water has cleared my skin rash. The food is great, and I'm sleeping better than ever. Wish you were here. I'll write you again when I get to Tarshish. Love, Jonah, and next to his name, a scripture reference. Genesis 31, 49, which says, the Lord watch between me and thee while we are absent one from another. Jonah chose the convenient alternative of Joppa. Is there anything wrong with Joppa? No. Is there anything wrong with boats? No. Is there anything wrong with the Mediterranean Sea? No. Is there anything wrong with Spain? No. Is there anything wrong with Tarshish on the Spanish Riviera? No. When I was a CIU student many years ago, I went to and stayed in the city of Joppa, Tel Aviv, as part of a summer missions trip. Because my maternal grandfather was Canadian, our family, for four generations now, owns a beautiful remote lake property in Ontario, Canada. And there in that spot, my wife and I own and store a boat. 
A number of summers ago, my wife and I led a CIU tour group to Italy. And as part of that trip, we took a beautiful boat cruise on the Mediterranean Sea. I've been to Malaga, Spain, located on the Spanish Riviera, right across from Morocco. That's where Tarshish was. And I was there once to preach in cooperation with some local missionaries in that city. And I went there once with my family for a summer vacation when we were living and serving the Lord in Italy. It was good, and it was right, and it was enjoyable, and it was legitimate. Now watch. There's nothing wrong with Joppa. There's nothing wrong with boats. There's nothing wrong with the Mediterranean Sea. There's nothing wrong with Tarshish in southern Spain. But the point is that all of those places and activities were, were not where God wanted Jonah to be, and they were not what God wanted Jonah to be doing. In fact, though perfectly legitimate in themselves, they were the exact opposite of where God wanted Jonah to go and what God wanted Jonah to do. When God said go, Jonah said no, and because Jonah said no, Joppa was wrong. The boat was wrong. The trip on the Mediterranean was wrong. The destination was wrong. Now watch. Joppa, the boat, the sea, southern Spain, though perfectly innocent, legitimate things in themselves, were the convenient alternatives that Jonah chose in order to go his own way. Are you following me? And the questions for you and me here tonight, no matter how old or young you are, no matter how long or short you've been a follower of Jesus Christ, the questions we need to be asking ourselves are these. Where does God want me to be? Where does God want me to go? What does God want me to do? And as we stay close to the Lord and submit ourselves to the authoritative teaching of his word, we can and will know where he wants us to be and what he wants us to do just like Jonah did. And the next question is, are we willing and ready to do that? Even if it means leaving home, even if it means going far away, even if it means going to people whom we don't naturally love, even if it means going to our enemies, to people who hate us and who would like to get rid of us if they could. You know, all of us are ingenious when it comes to rationalizing our own disobedience and sin. Jonah could have said, you know, there's still such a great need here at home. Somebody needs to be working here to meet the needs here. And if he said that, that would have been absolutely correct. There was a huge spiritual need in northern Israel where Jonah lived and when Jonah lived there. In fact, the spiritual need was so great and the spiritual decline was so awful that God stepped in in 722 BC through the Assyrian captivity. So Jonah could have said, someone needs to stay here and minister. Now watch. At the time of Jonah, there were at least two other Old Testament prophets who were his contemporaries and who were serving the Lord at the same time. They were the prophet Amos and the prophet Hosea. 
Now watch. Amos was from Judah. That's in the south part of the Holy Land. And God sent him to Israel, where Jonah lived, in the north of the Holy Land. And that would be like being called by God to go from the state of Florida to the state of Maine. Hosea was from Israel in the north of the Holy Land. That's where Jonah was. And he was called to stay in that same part of Israel. Jonah was called by God to leave northern Israel and go to Nineveh in Assyria. So God was concerned for the people of Israel, and he called two men to stay in Israel and work among their own people. Of the three prophets, God called two to stay at home to work with their own people, and he called one, Jonah, to go far away and work with a different people. So in this case, God more, called more to stay than to go. But the point is that if God calls you to stay, you shouldn't go. And if God calls you to go, you shouldn't stay. Each of us needs to be where God wants us to be, doing what God wants us to do. And it would have been wrong for Jonah to point to the other two prophets as a rationalization and say, they can stay, why can't I? Another way Jonah could have rationalized his disobedience once he got to Joppa would have been for him to say this. Well, looky there, a ship going to Tarshish. Why, if God didn't want me to go to Tarshish, that ship wouldn't have been there. This is God's clear indication that Tarshish is where I should go. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the danger of finding and choosing a convenient alternative. So can I talk to you just for a minute about the devil? Nowhere in the book of Jonah is Satan, the devil, ever mentioned. In fact, the devil is not mentioned that much throughout the entire Old Testament. But we're told enough to know that the devil is always there behind the scenes, deceiving, robbing, killing, bent on thwarting God's plan of redemption. You can be sure that the devil did not want the people of Nineveh to be the recipients of the life-giving grace of God. And the devil has his ships. Now, there's nothing good or evil in itself about a boat or a ship, but just as God can use things and circumstances to accomplish his purposes, so can the devil. And let me tell you about one of the ships that came into my life at a critical moment. It was the end of my sophomore year in high school. I had already been a believer for years, but it was then that I began to seriously think about life and death, heaven and hell, and time and eternity. And before I reached my middle teen years, I became convinced that there were only three things that last forever. God, the Word of God, and the eternal souls of men and women, boys and girls. I became convinced that everyone living in the world was in one of two basic and foundational categories, not rich and poor, not black and white, not gifted or ungifted, not handsome or unattractive, not educated or uneducated. No, the only two basic categories of people that mattered were those who knew the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior and those who didn't, the saved and the lost. 
And I was convinced that as a recipient of the grace of God, I was now a steward of the gospel. God wanted to use me to bring people from darkness to light. And I realized that he was concerned about all people everywhere. So I became increasingly convinced that I needed to study the Bible, God's word, and get some good basic training to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ, even though I wasn't sure at that point what my actual vocational profession would be. I heard about Columbia Bible College, now Columbia International University, and I went to South Carolina from Pennsylvania where I was living to visit the school from, from Pennsylvania. And after I met the students and some of the faculty and saw their obvious commitment to the Lord and to his word, I knew in my heart of hearts, this is where I need to be. I went back to Pennsylvania and then a ship going in a different direction came into my life. I can't really say that the devil put the ship there, but it was there, just like Jonah's ship in Joppa, and it was definitely going in a different direction than the one I knew in my heart that God wanted me to take. And in itself, it was perfectly legitimate. Let me explain. Some of you who know my life story know that I did not do well academically in high school. By no stretch of anybody's imagination would I ever have been considered as a candidate for a college academic merit scholarship. In fact, when I eventually did apply and was accepted as a freshman at Columbia Bible College, I was accepted on academic probation. Can you believe I became their president? My parents were in full-time Christian ministry at that time, making a modest salary. I had four siblings, so money was a real issue when it came to the idea of me or any of my brothers or sisters going to college. So you can imagine my surprise when the head of the music department at Lafayette College, an Ivy League school in Eastern Pennsylvania, contacted me, offering me a full-ride scholarship, room, board, and tuition for four years at that school. Why? Well, even though my grades were not good, I loved to sing. And I ended up winning the solo contest at the prestigious statewide Pennsylvania State Chorus. And the guest conductor that year was John Raymond from Lafayette. And when he heard me sing, he offered me that scholarship right on the spot, full ride, all four years. I told him, sir, you haven't seen my high school GPA. He said, no problem. We got the football boys in. We'll get you in. I took the Lafayette application home and began to excitedly fill it out. And then I decided to stop and pray about it. And the minute I began praying, I remembered how God had been narrowing my focus to those things that really have eternal value. And I remember how I felt the undeniable need to study God's word and get disciplined training for Christian living and service. And I remember how I knew in my heart when I visited CIU that that's where he wanted me to be. So I stopped filling out the application to Lafayette, and I never sent it in. I could have, and it would have been perfectly legitimate. And it would have been a lot more convenient financially. Instead of going to Lafayette, I went to Columbia Bible College, worked in the dining room dish pit, mopped floors late at night, swept sidewalks, washed all my clothes by hand because I didn't have enough money to put in the machines, and had four of the best and happiest years of my life. So what's my point in telling you this? 
My point and one of the main lessons of the book of Jonah is to beware of the danger of finding and choosing a convenient alternative to what God, what you know God wants you to do. Are you, are you listening? After finishing my studies at CIU and before going to Europe as a missionary church planner, I joined the staff at CIU and trained student ministry teams that went out from the school to share Christ in churches and various other places. And one of the students I trained was Chris Thomas, who years later became the director of the Worldwide Torchbearers Bible School Movement. One day during a soccer game at CIU, Chris was involved in a pileup of players and received a very serious injury to one of his eyes and ended up in the Baptist Hospital in downtown Columbia. I visited Chris in the hospital and we had a great time of fellowship as he lay there in his bed and we decided to pray together just before I left. So we prayed and when we did, we, we both closed our eyes. When we finished praying, and opened our eyes, there standing at the foot of Chris's hospital bed was a nurse, probably in her mid-50s, and she was crying. I mean, the tears were just streaming down her face. <laughs> we were so surprised we didn't know what to say, but we didn't need to because she spoke first. She said, you boys are from Columbia Bible College, aren't you? And we said, yes. Then, continuing to cry, she blurted out, if God calls you to missionary service, don't disobey him. She then went on to tell us that she was from a fine Christian family in Columbia, South Carolina, and she attended Columbia Bible College at its, its original downtown location. She told us that one day through her study of God's word, God clearly put his hand on her for missionary service. She was so excited and she couldn't wait to tell her parents. When she did, her mom went ballistic, telling her that that was for other people to do, not her, and adding, beside, if you go to the mission field, you'll never get married. The nurse told us that she began to think about what her mom said, and she started to have second thoughts. And then one day, her mother introduced her to a young businessman from another fine family in Columbia. Though he was a professing Christian and attended church, he was not really that interested in spiritual things, but he was attractive and successful financially. And they began to spend time together. One thing led to another, and they got married right after she graduated from Columbia Bible College. She went, on, she went on to tell us how the next 30 years were, in her words, hell on earth. How her teenage son was tragically killed in an auto accident and how her unhappy marriage finally ended in divorce. She told us how through all that heartache she had come back to the Lord and had experienced his forgiveness and cleansing. And then she told us about two other women students who were at CIU during the same years that she studied there and how the three of them often talked and prayed together about the spiritual needs in East Africa and whether God wanted to use all three of them to help reach the people there for Christ. And she told us how the two other girls did go to Africa and though neither of them ever married they were two of the happiest people she'd ever known then she told us their names Mary Beam and Betty Cridland those names may mean nothing to you but those two godly women missionaries are a legend in the country of Sudan and through them, God did an amazing work that resulted in the planting of hundreds of Bible-believing churches. 
that nurse finished her story by admonishing both Chris and me with these words. Boys, if God calls you to go, please don't say no. Now, in closing our message tonight, I want you to think with me just for a minute about the amazing contrast between Jonah chapter 1 and Acts chapter 27. Think with me for a minute. In both cases, we have a servant of the Lord. In the one case, the prophet Jonah. In the other case, the missionary apostle Paul, Acts 27. Both of them are on a boat. Both of them are on the Mediterranean Sea. Both of them are going west. Both of them are heading for Spain, but for two very different reasons. Jonah was heading for Spain to avoid taking God's message to the unreached. Paul was heading for Spain in order to take God's message to the unreached. And you can read about that in Romans chapter 15. In both cases, a terrible storm came up. In both cases, everything on the ship was thrown overboard. In both cases, the sailing crews despaired of their lives. What do these two passages tell us? One thing they tell us is that doing the will of God, which Paul was doing in direct line with God's redemptive missionary purposes, doing the will of God does not guarantee the absence of storms and difficulties. Another thing these two passages tell us is that whatever we do, whether an act of disobedience as seen in Jonah or an act of obedience as seen in Paul, it affects the lives of other people. Jonah chapter 1, verse 12, Jonah said to the sailors, I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. It affects the lives of other people. Other people suffer when you and I disobey the Lord, and other people are blessed when you and I obey the Lord. Now think about it. Because Jonah was heading for Spain, everybody on his boat was going to die. And because Paul was heading to Spain, everybody on his boat was going to live. He told the sailors that. He said, an angel of God appeared to me in the night on the boat, and he said this, do not be afraid, Paul. God has graciously given you the lives of all those who sail with you. Because Jonah was heading for Spain, everyone on his boat was going to die. Because Paul was heading to Spain, everybody on his boat was going to live. Now, I, I don't want to press this too, too much, but um, I've traveled the world preaching the gospel uh, as a missionary, as a missionary statesman, and I have been on more than one flight that got into trouble. And everybody on the plane has gotten very scared. And like I said, I don't want to press this too far, but sometimes I've just thought to myself, if those people just knew I was on this plane, Now, like I said, I don't want to press that too far. Now watch. It wasn't the point of departure. It wasn't the boat. It wasn't the sea. It wasn't the destination which made the difference in those two cases. It was a matter of going where God wants you to go and doing what God wants you to do, all in terms of God's worldwide redemptive missionary purposes. Jesus has told us, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone everywhere. There are still three billion people who are waiting to hear about Jesus for the first time. So let me ask 
ask you once more, what part of go don't you understand? And I'd like us to close our final missions conference gathering tonight with a prayer that I want all of you to pray out loud together with me. You'll see the words on the screen, and let's all pray this prayer together, starting with the word, Lord. Let's do it together. Here we go. Lord, help me to go where you want me to go and do what you want me to do, always in terms of your worldwide redemptive missionary purposes, and deliver me from seeking and choosing convenient alternatives. Let's pray together. Lord, hear this prayer that we have all prayed together, uttered from sincere hearts, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.